Good morning. morning. It's great to see you all and um, just great to be with you. I can tell you I am um, just uh, excited uh, to be here with you this morning, not just um, because of the opportunity to open up God's Word together, but just um, after seeing uh, God uh, move this week, and I just want to thank Brandon and Justin for sharing their testimony, and there are so many various places that we saw God move, and then to um, just have been in study of this Word from God, um, uh, I I just know that God uh, has... uh, uh, is going to use this morning. Um, he's going to move power, powerfully uh, through our time together. He already has, and so I'm just so uh, grateful um, to be here uh, with you. I do want to say that um, it's been referenced my skiing, and I'm only trying to be biblical when I say follow me as I follow Christ. And so I just am <laughs> just trying to get there a little faster. No, I'm obviously joking, but uh, it was a great time uh, being with those brothers and, uh, and encourage you guys next year. Um, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the service, but in the same same way you heard just referenced how God moved as the men were able to retreat away from the normalcy of our regular pattern and schedule of life. Uh, We have an opportunity in just a couple of weeks to retreat uh, for a little less time, but still retreat a a little bit out of our normal schedule. Um, We have our couples retreat coming up on the 15th and 16th of this month, and so um, you're going to hear more about that at the end of the service, but I just wanted to take a moment and just say, if if you thought, hey man, I'm sad that I missed that opportunity, guys, to go on that ski trip um, in, in a different way, but in the same way, we trust and believe that God will use this couples retreat in a powerful way. So I just want to encourage you, and men, uh, it'd be a great Valentine's gift to take your wife away just for 24 hours up to Texoma and spend that time uh, with her. So that's that. But we are in the book of Daniel, as you heard read, and um, we started this series last Sunday. And so if you're here um, as a guest this morning and it's your uh, first time with us or uh, maybe you've been uh, just missed last week, I just want to encourage you to go backwards, um, uh, get on our website. You can listen to uh, the message um, this sort of the introductory message, the first seven verses was our focus um, last week to go back and hear that uh, as we continue in the book of Daniel. And if you are a guest with us, um, it's just our habit and pattern here at the Parks Church to just work our way through books of the Bible. So um, that's what we're doing and um, continuing that. And as we began our study in the book of Daniel last week, one of the things that we have to get right in our minds as we examine this book and consider what God is saying to us is that we have to grasp that Daniel has something uh, to say to us today and the the relevance in order for us to really understand um, what it is that Daniel is saying to us. We've got to understand who it is that he was talking to in the first place and what he was saying initially. And all too often, it's just sort of our custom, um, or not, I shouldn't say custom, it can become a habit for us that when we read the Bible, we read the Bible and we just immediately try to say, well, what is this saying to me? And we try to apply it to our lives. And while the, the, the Word of God clearly has instruction and is good to, to teach us and to rebuke us, correct us, do all the things that uh, it, it says it will do, in order for us to really fully understand what God is saying to us, we've got to, go, we've got to pause for a moment and really understand What was God saying to the people that he initially wrote this book to? And so Daniel wrote this book with the hope of of, um, bringing to light the sovereignty of God for a people who were in exile. 
And that he would fulfill his promises to his people. He would not leave them or forsake them. That the people of God had not been forgotten just because of the fact that they found themselves away from their homeland, out of their homes. That's what Daniel wrote. He wanted to, as we said, to give hope. Or perhaps as we've sort of subtitled our series, so that the exiles might flourish. Daniel was written to people in exile so that they would flourish even in the midst of their exile. So now as we understand that that's who this book is written to, and we begin to generally, again, on a broad stroke, apply it to our own lives, the first task for us after is to grasp that God is speaking to a people who are in exile, and yes, we are in exile if we don't understand, if we don't figure out or don't really our worldview, our perspective on this life is not that this is in our home, then this book won't make much sense to us. And this book won't give us much hope. And the reason that I think so often, I will tell you that we very often struggle in this life, the reason that we struggle to, to deal with the hard things that can come our way so often is that we too quickly forget we are in exile. This isn't our home. So when you, when you try to make a place your home that isn't your home, you're going to have a hard time. When we were on our trip this week, there were no bowls in our room. No, you know, the cereal bowl type. Well, I like cereal. I was frustrated that I didn't have a bowl to eat my cereal in the morning. It wasn't my home. At home, I got a lot of bowls. I got a bowl. For those of you who didn't know, I was, this is just a little backstory on Ryan Ross. From about kindergarten till the 11th grade, 4 o'clock rolls around, I'm having a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch after school every day of my life. I like cereal. So I, I was frustrated, I didn't have my bowls there. And, and that, I was trying to make this, this, this place wasn't my home, I was removed from that. Well, in a silly way, we make this life, we try to too often think this is our home, it's all about what we're doing in the here and now, we forget, no, we are exiles. We're going to be missing some things. There's some things that we're not intended to have. There's some, some things that aren't going to look and seem right to us because it's not our home. It's not what we were created for. We were created for a different place. We were created for the kingdom of God. But when we try to figure out how to make this place work, guess what? We start chasing after things. When we find ourselves lacking, and so we get a little flat bowl that's really more of like a soup bowl, and we try to eat cereal out of it. And then all the milk drips down our chin because we can't really get the milk up. And we look ridiculous. All right, I'm confessing, testifying to my... No, it wasn't sin. But anyway, we look silly. And that's what we do as believers, as Christians, as we go throughout this life trying to make this place look like our home, make everything comfortable, do all that we can so that we have all of the, the, the comforts and the joy and the happiness that is not really ever intended to be found just here in this place, absent of the Lord. We look silly. And guess what? We look silly internally as we look at ourselves and we say, why are they doing that? My brother in the Lord, why is he chasing after that? My sister, why are you going after that? You weren't, that's not, you're never going to get hope out of that. You're never going to get joy out of that. You're never going to get peace out of that. And guess what? To the outside world that is also looking in that we have declared and testified to saying, no, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. I follow the Lord. They look at us and say, well, if that is so, you look pretty silly chasing after this worldly thing. 
You're trying to make this place your home. We all too often. So for us to really grasp this book of Daniel, we've got to recognize that we are exiles. This is not our home. We live in the kingdom of God. We are members. If we have been adopted into Christ as his sons and daughters, as we just sang, we live somewhere else. That is our eternal home. And ultimately, as we talked about last week and again this week, every week I could get up here and I could just read the news to you and I could say, is this our home? And you would say, clearly not. It's broken. It is reeks of death and destruction and pain and suffering. It's not our home. And so we're reminded moment by moment, but in the midst of that understanding being reminded we also can have hope, and that's what this book, what Daniel gives to us. And if we would, my prayer through our time together as we grasp that this world is not our home, then we could stop living for all the trophies that will turn to dust, and we could be living for the kingdom of God that will last forever. And once we grasp that truth, this, this flourishing, this idea of flourishing in the midst of exile begins to make sense. And we find that yes, in the midst of this place that reeks of death, that is clearly broken, that suffering abounds, we can have joy. We can have hope. We can have, and we can have it in such a way that it lasts, that it's not fickle, that doesn't come and go in the waves that so often we experience. So let's look, and I want to just read, kind of work our way through what Miss Marianne read for us from chapter 1, picking up in verse 8. I'm going to work a little bit backwards, but one of the first things that we see, and for us to understand, is that God is sovereign over all that is happening to Daniel and ultimately to us. See, Daniel, it says in verse 2, I'm going to work my way back to chapter 1, verse 2. It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And so what has happened, Nebuchadnezzar has come in, this, uh, this ruler of Babylon has come into Jerusalem, into Judah, and says, I'm taking all of you captive. And he takes the Israelites, the Jewish people, captive. He brings many of them back to Babylon with him, and the, they become slaves. And he essentially tears down everything about their homeland is destroyed, and they're taken out. In verse 2, though, it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the king of Israel at that time. And so we see that God gives Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 9, we heard, Miss Marianne read for us, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Babylon. Verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion. Verse 17, it says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. See, these four youths in all of Israel, the people of God, were brought into exile and they now resided in a place that seemed to be ruled by Nebuchadnezzar and seemed to be ruled by all of the pagan gods of his day, the gods that he worshipped and his people worshipped. They were in a place that it looked as if these little g gods were in control. 
This little king was in control. And yet, this scripture tells us all throughout, God gave, God gave, God gave. There was nothing that was happening in that time. There was nothing that Daniel and his friends or any of the Israelites experienced that God was not sovereign over. And so although they were brought into this place that looked like these other small gods, this under king was in charge, ultimately God is in charge. He remains in total control. Sometimes we've lost sight of the fact that God is in control. It seems very often to us that we are in control, that we have total control. One of the interesting things about going at least a little bit faster than you're comfortable with on skis is it reminds you that you are on the brink of being completely out of control. Right there on the edge, you just teeter. One wrong move and you are out of control. That's the world we live in. We try to kind of, again, create things and organize our lives to, as if we think we are in complete control. And it seems to us that we're in complete control. And then ultimately here in the West, sort of the American way of life, our autonomy and our freedom, our culture of freedom has convinced us that we are masters of our own destiny. That sounds like something that would be on some poster that we'd hang on the walls of a museum. We are masters of our own destiny. But don't lose hope. This place that is ruled by the prince of the air, the prince of darkness, God's hand is ultimately and firmly in control. Everything around Daniel said that he had to give in and turn his life over to Nebuchadnezzar to turn his life over to the small king and forget who God was. Everything, all of the evidence, he's enslaved, he's under authority, he's being told what to eat, what to do, given new education. Everything about his life said to him, I'm in control, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm in control, little gods. It would be so easy for Daniel to forget that God is still firmly in control. But Daniel didn't forget. He remembered. Daniel had faith in God and resolved, it says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would live for God. He wouldn't defile himself. And God, all throughout this text, showed himself, and God gave, and God gave, and God gave. God showed himself to be in complete control. So as we're tempted, brothers and sisters, to live as if all the little kings of this world are in charge of our lives, that we need to submit our lives to all of the whims of this world, all of the schedule, all of the financial direction, all of the relational direction, all, all the advice and wisdom that this world has to offer that seems to tell us over and over and over again that the little king is in charge, we need to remember that God is sovereign over it all. And that should give us hope that yes, we see brokenness, we see hard things happening, but we need to remember who our God is. One of my favorite movies, we happened to just watch it last night, is Remember the Titans. One of my favorite scenes from that movie, if you've seen it, Coach Herman Boone is brought in as a new head coach. 
This is during the days of integration in 1971 in Virginia in, the, in a southern state. And he is set up as the head coach and he has to orchestrate sort of the, 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 the integration of the black and the white community for the very first time in this city. And he is put in place as an African-American head coach. And so he takes his, uh, his boys, he sets up a training camp. And they, they, in those days, uh, I wish we could still do this, they went away for training camp. They all got on a bus. It's one of my favorite scenes is he gathers all of the, the, the boys. He says, hey, you got to be at the bus at this time. And so the buses are there. And one of the players comes up to Coach Boone and says to him, Coach, my name's Gary Bertier, and I'm your only All-American on this team. And so here's what you're going to do with this team. Now, let me tell you how it's going to work. I'm going to play, and this is God's play. And he kind of gives them some instructions. And Coach Boone laughs at him a little bit, kind of mocks him a little bit. And then he pulls him close. He says, hey, uh, Mr. Bertier, is, is your mama here? He says, yeah, she's right over there. He says, well, let me tell you one thing. You get on that bus, you ain't got no mama. And guess who your daddy is? I'm your daddy. Am I your daddy, Mr. Bertier? Yes, coach, you're my daddy. That's right, I'm your daddy. We need to remember who our daddy is. He's in control. He is the only one who has a say. And we need to live and understand that we are under his authority completely and fully. There is no other authority. And in the midst of a life and a world that seems like all of these other things are in control of our lives, I get it. As a husband, all of the things that seem to vie and tell me that they are in control and try to convince me that I can't live and be the husband that God's called me to be. As a father, all of the things that vie for my children's attention. I never forget the very first misstep I made as a father. Grayson comes home. I think he's probably in kindergarten. He's going to hate me, I get it, but sorry, babe. They always correct me on these stories, by the way. But he comes home, and he wanted to play some game called Pokemon. Maybe it was even preschool. He might have been younger. I don't remember. And there, I don't know that there's anything wrong with Pokemon, but it just looked as completely ridiculous and silly as anything I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm like, nah, we're not doing any of this Pokemon, alien, little stuff things. No, well, I'm out. But then he says to me, but, but Dad, I mean, I go to school and all the boys are playing, you know, the Pokemon game. And I'm sitting here on the sidelines. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know how to, I don't even know the right language. So he's probably trying to make up language. And guess what, as a dad, oh, poor thing. Let's go get you some Pokemon. The little kings of this world told me I had to give in to this thing. And again, that's a silly little example. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinful. But how often as that grows and multiplies and it gets bigger. But dad, what about all of this? I need to participate. I need to be able to do this. What are they going to say about me if not this and that and that? So many things vie for my attention or vie for my children's attention. And as a dad, how is it that I'm going to stand firm? I've got to remember who my daddy is. I've got to remember that God is sovereign over all of this. And I don't have to submit to these little kings. Students, you don't have to submit your lives to these little kings, these meaningless kings, these kings that have no real authority as much as they seem to think they have authority over your lives. They don't have authority. There is only one who has authority. His name is God. Our Father. God's hand is evident all throughout this text. 
I read for you verse 2, that the Lord gave Judah over to Babylon. Verse 9, God gave Daniel favor with the chief of the, the, the palace. God, in verse 15, God gave increase. In just 10 days, by the way, God gave increase to Daniel and his friends as they ate the right food. By the way, I know there's this whole deal about the Daniel diet. And we're going to all go home and kids, you got to eat your vegetables now because that's what the Bible says. And that may be good for us. I'm not going to discredit any of our, I'm not a, a nutritionist. But you know why that, that, that note is in our Bibles about Daniel being increased by vegetables? It's not to instruct us how to eat. It's to remind us that our Father in heaven is the one who was sovereign over Daniel's life. And no matter what he ate, the fact that he was being faithful to honor God, God gave him increase and made him look healthier, made him fatter, and all of those types of things. Amen. It wasn't about what he ate. It was about God and his faithfulness and his sovereignty. Verse 17, God gave them miraculous understanding. He, they were able to learn, it says. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God's hand is all over this passage, and it's all over Daniel and his friends. Too often... We've read this passage, if you grew up in church perhaps, maybe going to Sunday school like I did, and you heard this story written or read to you, it was taught, look at all of the ways that Daniel did the right thing. Daniel made the right decisions. Daniel chose to not defile himself and all those things. And while that is instructive and helpful, it's not about Daniel. It's not about us. It's not about you. Hear this, brothers and sisters, this life is not about you. We live too often trying to think and put ourselves at the center of the story and everything. And this story is about God's hand, God's faithfulness. So kids, let me let you off the hook. Church isn't about coming and being told what to do and not to do. Church is about coming and recognizing that we have a sovereign God who loves us, died for us, cares for us, and has provided a way for us to come into eternal fellowship with him because of his love and who he is. Amen. We're here to worship God, not to worship ourselves for being able to do the right thing periodically. So often we get that backwards. And so this story is about a sovereign God who guided Daniel in faithfulness guided his friends and ultimately to live faithfully in exile. And so as I began, we've got to acknowledge that we are in exile. And we, like Daniel in verse 8, we should resolve to be faithful to God. Why should we resolve to be faithful to God? Not out of moralism because we think we are going to do better or that will make us right. We should resolve to be faithful to God because he has clearly been faithful to us. We love because he first loved us. As we talked about so often, you heard testified, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We, we can't outrun Jesus' love for us. His grace is sufficient in all things. And so we resolve to be faithful to God, to be obedient to who God has called us to be because of His faithfulness to us. And ultimately, we can trust that God will be faithful Listen to this. He presents Daniel. This text presents, kind of elevates Daniel and his friends as the true Israelites, as the ones who did it right, 
faithful to God even when they were far away. In chapter 1, as we just read, they're faithful to not eat the wrong things. Later in chapter 3, they will be faithful to not fall down and worship an idol. Even further along in chapter 6, they'll be faithful to God in the way that they pray. In this exile, as they live in exile, removed from their homelands, they remain faithful by obeying God. So what is God saying to us through this? He's identifying Daniel as one who was set apart. And our responsibility as we interpret this or look at this text, we're, we're not called to follow Daniel in eating the right food and answering the same way that they did or learning how to be a faithful Israel. Our responsibility is to see God's hand over it all. Our hope for this text, what we would say that Daniel is going to teach us, is that we have a sovereign God who is faithful even in the midst of exile. And we also, as God's people, are called to be faithful and obedient in response to His faithfulness even in the midst of exile. We aren't at home. Things aren't the way they should be. How is it that we remain faithful? How is it that we resolve to follow God and be obedient to who God is? We get to know that God who is sovereign and whose hand is evident every moment of our lives. I told you I was excited to preach this morning. Why? In, a lot, in large part because I saw the evidence of God's hand in a special way this week. That's not going to be the same next week, but this week I got to see His hand shaping and molding my brothers in a, in a new and in a, in a special way. The, his, his evidence of his hand is all over. And next week or this week, it's going to be something different, but I'm going to see his hand of faithfulness. I'm going to see that my life is sustained for even just one more day. I'm going to wake up by God's grace tomorrow morning and I'm going to have breath in my lungs that he has given to me so that I can return glory back to him. Moment by moment by moment, we see God's faithfulness to us even in the midst of all of this brokenness, in the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of all the pain, we see His faithfulness to us. And so we get to know that God because we desire to know the One who would lead us and care for us and protect us even in the midst of this exile. Finally, we see Jesus I said for you, I read for you, verses 2, 9, 17, and on. And what do those verses say? And the Lord gave. The Lord gave. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God gave His Son, so that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the Lord gave. In God's sovereignty, According to his perfect time, he sent his son to live the sinless life that he would live, to go to the cross, to atone for the sins of all the world for all time, to take up his life again, showing that he had victory over sin and death once and for all. And then once again, in the fullness of time, God gave each and one of you who are in Christ this morning, God gave you faith. God gave you the ability to believe in him. 
That's not about your strength. That's not because you were resolved to do the right thing morally. That's because of God's faithfulness to you. God gave us faith to believe in this Jesus. And so in the same way that God gave us Jesus, then God gives us faith. He restores, he, he assures us he is sovereign over it all. And so we can trust him. Today we do live in exile. We live in a broken world. We would call ourselves, I believe for most of us, citizens of this country, the United States. But as Paul would say, our citizenship is in heaven and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't look for a Savior in the midst of exile from, the other, from exile. We look for a Savior from beyond. A Savior that's outside of that. One of the greatest problems that we experience is looking for a Savior here sort of in a horizontal plane. We need to recognize that our Savior comes from above and God gave Him to us. And he will surely come again. And he will take us home. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't tell you this. I'm not a liar, Jesus says to his disciples. I go to prepare a place and I will come again to take you to myself. And he will take us one day out of this exile. And we will be restored forever. And that's why we can sing I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I might reside today in exile, but I'm a citizen of a kingdom that will not perish, will last forever, and I have been called a prince of that kingdom. You world might look at me as something as worthless, as meaningless, as maybe not even worthy to kick dust upon, but my daddy says that I am his child. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. What fears do you live with today? What are the anxieties of your heart? What are the things that when you lay your head down tonight on your pillow will wreck your mind so much that you got to take some melatonin, some Ambien or something just to get it to calm down? What are those things? What are those things that cause you to act in such a way that you don't even understand yourself? That sometimes you look at your life and you're saying, what is it that I'm doing? I'm out, almost like an out-of-body experience. You're living in fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. If you're a child of God, then you have nothing to fear because God is sovereign over all of it. There's nothing that moves on this earth. There is no molecule that is out of place when God says, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to do. This is how it's going to look. So yes, even as my mother passed away and died rapidly of cancer, I could say I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God because God, you're sovereign over of this and I trust you with it because you've proven yourself to me over and over and over and over again. Let go of your fears. Lay down those fears. You heard testified about sharing and being vulnerable with one another. Why are we not vulnerable with one another? Because we're slaves to fear and we forget that we're children of God. We need to remember, I'm no longer a slave living in 
exile, and fear. I'm a child of God, residing in a broken world, but he will surely come and take me home. No more fear. Lay it all down. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this truth. This truth that you wrote down thousands of years ago so that this morning in Melissa, Texas, we could hear from you again and be reminded of your sovereign and gracious hand over our lives. I thank you, God. It's not because of me. I have nothing to offer. There's no reason in my life that I should be able to proclaim I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am your child. That's all a gift from you. It's because of who you are. It's because of your love for me. So I pray, Holy Spirit, now, as these hearts are hearing from you, I, I plead, would you help us all to be able to declare in our hearts, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Would you help us to lay down our fears? Even as we will walk out of this room and one of us will get a phone call that just reminds us that this world is broken and things are messed up and that we are in exile, even though we know that to be true, would you help us to remember that you are sovereign over it all, that your hand is never out of place. Your grip on us is completely secure. So I pray that every soul in this room, my dear brothers and sisters, would know your hand of grace and love and strength and might. The power of God is the power to raise dead to life. We need to remember your power, Jesus. Is there any greater power than what you displayed when you took your life up again? No, there isn't. So we just, we, I, I, I plead with you, help us to remember that your grip is secure on our lives. And so we can stand and sing. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Say it again. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Let it go. Give it to Jesus. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we are your children. What greater hope could there be? We praise you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Every knee will bow. Every eye will see. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church. For the city. About a person.